0: Jesus really cares about you. Maybe you don't believe that today. Maybe you are buried under life's crushing load. And maybe you're wondering why what is happening is happening in your life. And maybe you've come to the conclusion that God doesn't care about you. Well, whether you believe it or not, you are cared for and you are loved. Jesus really cares. I mean cares cares about all that's going on in that little heart of yours this morning. And that's what we'll see in Luke chapter 1 today. So turn there in your Bibles. We're going to see that God is rich in mercy and he's a big spender. Ray Ortland said, God is rich in mercy and God is a big spender. He delivered up his own son for us all. Therefore, God's love for you has no outer limit. We are the ones who measure out our love in a calculating way, pennies at a time, always careful not to give away too much. But God does not love that way. God is glorified by lavishing his mercies upon us without regard for the cost to himself. God lavishes his mercies upon us, people like us. That's incredible. And that's what we'll see with Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth and Zechariah are senior citizens. And they are expecting their first baby. Think about that. They should be holding a grandbaby in their arms, maybe even a great grandbaby at this point in their life. And yet they are about to have their first child. Elizabeth is in her 60s, maybe even her 70s. And she's going to show up up at the new mom's luncheon at church with a bunch of millennials. (laughs) Think about that. If anyone needed to know that God cares and lavishes His mercies upon new moms, it's Elizabeth. So wherever you are experiencing life's crushing load in your life this Advent season, know that Jesus cares for you too, and He has new mercies for you. God cares about what happens to His children what matters to you matters to Him. And that ought to give you goosebumps on your soul. The infinitely glorious God of the universe who has authority over all creation. Plants and animals and human beings and planets and moons and stars and galaxies, plural. That God cares about what's happening in your world. That ought to give you goosebumps on your soul this morning. So Merry Christmas, Grace. I just gave you your goosebumps back. And Luke will do the same. Luke wants to show you, show me, That God is lavish with his mercies and that he really cares about his people and all that they suffer under life's crushing load. And he will show us that with a very dilated senior citizen with gray hair who hears the words, it's time to push. Look at verse 57 and hear the word of the Lord. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son And Zechariah asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John, and they all wondered. God's lavish mercies and compassion and tenderness and care is seen here in the fact that a very old Elizabeth delivers a baby. And it's a very personal mercy, isn't it? It's mercy for Elizabeth specifically. We're going to see the corporate aspect to God's mercy and his compassion later on when her husband Zechariah recounts how merciful the Lord is to the nation of Israel. But here, right now, this is a very personal mercy just for Elizabeth. God has personally assisted And comforted her as she gave birth. Like, that's the best kind of midwife you could ask for, isn't it? How so? Well, remember, she's old. She's advanced in years. Imagine giving birth at 60 or 70 years old. Luke wants us to know at the very beginning of his gospel that God is full of mercy, that he's rich in mercy, and that he really cares about what is happening in our lives. And the word that Luke uses here for mercy means the idea of it is it's care, it's compassion, it's pity. And so you really get a sense of the heart of God here as Elizabeth gives birth. He has compassion and pity and care for this 60-year-old woman who is giving birth for the very first time pre-modern-day epidurals. And comfortable hospital rooms with all the latest technology. And Luke tells us in verse 58 that the Lord has shown her great mercy. This is not just a little bit of compassion from God. The care and compassion was great. The Greek word here for uh, great is megaluno, luno. And it means like what it sounds like. Mega, great, big, or to magnify. So God's care was mega luno, enormous, large, and overwhelming to Elizabeth. I love that Jesus isn't stingy with his mercy and care. He just doesn't give you a pinch of his compassion and care when you suffer. It's mega mercy. It's mega compassion that he comforts us with. Luke is reminding us that Jesus is not stingy with his compassion and tenderness. He comes to us in all our sufferings, and he comforts us. Far from being this detached and distracted and disinterested curmudgeon, Jesus is very much concerned with all of our sufferings and all of our hardships he is very much moved by and very much concerned with what you are going through right now during this season of advent his heart is mega for you more than you could ever imagine he really cares whether you feel it or not and so understand this grace You have all of God's heart available for all that you are going through right now. Isn't that wonderful? All of His heart for all of your problems. All of His heart for all that's going on in that little heart of yours this morning. His attention is focused on you personally. He sees your needs, He hears your cries. All of Jesus for all of you. Merry Christmas. And here in Luke 1, it was the same thing. All of God for all that Elizabeth needed in that hospital room. God cares about an old woman in the hospital who's dilated and being told, it's time to push this is mega Luno compassion that shows up in the maternity ward for this first time gray haired mommy. But we have to use our imagination here. Imagine Elizabeth screaming at Zechariah, I can't do this. I'm too old. I'm advanced in years, honey. And remember what happened to Zechariah earlier in the chapter? We saw it two weeks ago. Zechariah is mute. He can't encourage Elizabeth to use her Lamaze skills. He can't say anything to encourage her that she's going to make it. He can't tell her, you can do it, honey. Hold on, sweetie. But Elizabeth is not alone because God has magnified his mercy toward her. Listen, I don't know what you were going through in your life during the season of Advent, but you need to know that you are not alone. I don't know what's going on in that little heart of yours on this third Sunday Advent, but Jesus knows and he cares and he is with you with the same mega care and compassion that he showed a 60-plus-year-old lady who was scared and being told it's time to push. God is with you this Advent season as you feel weighted down by life's crushing load. So once again, Merry Christmas, Grace. God is with you right now. And that truth just might keep you from being admitted to the loony bin, actually. All right, back to our story. Notice in verse 58 how Elizabeth's friends heard about God's great mercy and they show up to see her, to cook for her, to clean for her, to do the laundry, to hold her hand and tell her that it's going to be okay, to come over and hold the baby so that she could take a much-needed nap. And oftentimes, That's how God's mercy and compassion come to us. It's through other people. And so eight days go by, and Zechariah and Elizabeth take the boy down to the temple to get him circumcised according to Scripture. But notice in verse 59 that the people who gathered wanted the boy to be called Zechariah after his father. They wanted him to be Junior, Zech Junior. This was the custom. And if not Zechariah, then the baby should have at least been named after someone in their family. But Elizabeth says the boy's name will be John, and then her friends and family, who are with her, immediately look to Zechariah because they think Elizabeth may need to be admitted to the loony bin because she doesn't name the boy after her husband. But Zechariah is mute. And he may have even been deaf, too, because verse 62 says they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. So Zechariah is probably mute and deaf, and they're making these signs. What do you want to call him? And Zechariah asks for a writing tablet. I think this is the universal sign for give me a writing tablet. Where he writes, his name is John. Now, remember what we saw two weeks ago. John's name means Yahweh is gracious. The Lord is gracious. And so through the birth and the naming of John, God was reminding his people, I am gracious. I give sinners what they don't deserve. John was this grace child sent as a message and a messenger of God's grace to his redeemed people. Now, many Israelites were probably thinking, if Yahweh is gracious, then why are we under the control of Rome? Why does this crazy psycho leader, Herod, keep saying and doing crazy psycho things? And yet, God is letting his people know once again that he is gracious because an old woman just gave birth to a boy named Yahweh is gracious. And as verse 65 states, the story of John's birth and his name began spreading throughout all the hill country of Judea. People began having conversations about how gracious Yahweh is. We too need this reminder often, don't we? Because things can get dark and bleak and start to fall apart in our lives. And what do we think? We think things like, God must have forgotten me. Why did this happen? And why are things going wrong? And where is God? And and does Jesus really care about me? Listen, no matter how you feel today, you have not fallen through the cracks of the universe. Jesus knows and he cares and he is with you and he has not forgotten you. Okay, back to our story. Let's look at verse 63. And Zechariah asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John, and they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So as soon as Zechariah wrote on the tablet, everyone was confused. John... Why John? Where does that name come from? Zech, no one in the family is named John. And as they are talking about all that Zechariah has written on the writing tablet, his tongue was loosed. So imagine nine months of silence. I believe what Zechariah said next is recorded in verses 68 and 79, which we're going to look at in a moment. He was able to speak again, and he took his new baby boy John in his arms, and he sang the song that we have in verses 68 through 79. And after Zechariah sang this song of praise to Yahweh, verse 65 says that fear came over all the people. They couldn't believe what they just witnessed. They couldn't believe what they were hearing. Zechariah could speak again, and his very first words were a song about how God has magnified his mercy toward Israel. He's not bitter against God. It's not nine months of silence and then bitterness and and anger at God and his people. No. He sings a song of praise. Think about that. And then word began to spread. And people began talking about it. And it was all over social media. And the people wondered, what kind of child is this? Who will John be? The hand of the Lord is with him. And then Zechariah's song in verses 68 through 79 was just all over the airways. It was the most listened to song on Spotify. And what a beautiful song it is. We're not going to look at it in detail, but it's a song that affirms God's covenant-keeping character. It's a song about how faithful God is to his people and to his promises. It's a song that highlights the out-of-this-world mercy of God. It's a song about God's faithfulness and how merciful he is. If you're wondering, what is God like? What is Jesus like? Here's a song that you can read to find out he's faithful. And he's merciful and he cares. Zechariah's song has a very catchy chorus that says, God is rich in mercy and he's a big spender. His song was a fresh reminder that the Lord is lavish with his mercy and that he's now breaking into the world and preparing his people for the coming of the promised Messiah, the Redeemer, their Savior, Jesus Christ. But don't lose sight of the fact that the nation of Israel had had to wait a long time for these things to happen. They heard the Savior was coming. Redemption was on its way, but they had to wait. They had been waiting some 700 years since Isaiah said this wonderful child was coming. And then they had to wait for John to be born and then wait for Jesus to be born. And then they had to wait for both of these boys to grow up. And then they had to wait 30 years for John to start preaching in the wilderness and to be the forerunner who will prepare the way of the Lord. And then they had to wait for Jesus to launch his ministry. And then they had to wait another three years for Jesus to go to the cross. And then they, like us, wait for Jesus' second advent, his second coming, when he returns to set up his eternal kingdom on the new earth. So it's just wait, wait, wait. And then keep on waiting. They had to wait a lot and you may have to wait on God to intervene in your life too. I came across a quote by Elizabeth Elliott that just stopped me in my tracks yesterday. It was like it's like she's pressing on the bruise <laughs> of my heart and soul. I was like, oh, I, I need this, even though it's hard. She said, He makes us wait. He keeps us on purpose in the dark. He makes us walk When we want to run, sit still when we want to walk, for he has things to do in our souls that we are not interested in. Ouch. Sorry I had to share that with you. If I had to deal with that, you have to, okay? I had to wrestle with the fact that God does what God's gonna do. He's gonna make me wait. I wanna run, and he's like, Sit down, boy. I wanna jump up and down, and he's like, No. Why? Because he wants to do things in my heart and in my life that I'm not interested in. Right? I want ease. I want comfort. I want all my prayers answered yesterday. And that's not how God works. Because he's smarter than me. (laughs) So I should trust him. So they had to wait. But you know what? While you wait for God to answer your prayers, know that he cares for you. David Pallison said, we live in a world where there is, in fact, someone at the receiving end of our cry for help. God cares and has entered our plight. God cares about you. He's on the receiving end of your cries while you wait for him to answer and to intervene. He's doing things in your heart. He's doing things in your life that he will show you one day and you'll be like, oh, such an idiot. I'm sorry I didn't trust you, Jesus. You were doing that, and I was... He cares. If you're here and you're new to this Jesus thing, new to the church, new to Christianity, then you need to know that Christianity entails a whole lot of waiting. And if you don't understand that, that waiting and waiting and waiting is discipleship, then you're going to be very frustrated Because we're just like Zechariah and company. The nation had to wait, even though there was now a buzz in the air. They had to wait 30 years for John to appear in the (laughs) desert preaching. So there's this buzz in the air. What does John's birth mean? What's happening? What is God going to do? Is the Messiah coming? When will the Messiah deliver us and set up his kingdom? And what started the buzz in the air? It was Zechariah's song that he sings here. He hasn't spoken in over nine months, and his first words are a praise song about how merciful, caring, kind, and compassionate Yahweh is. Look at verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness And in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Did you catch it two times Zechariah sings of God's mercy in verse 72 and verse 78? In fact, mercy is all over Luke chapter 1. Mercy is mentioned five times in this chapter. Why does this song Zechariah's song of mercy and compassion spread throughout the hill country. Why is God causing this mercy song to spread like wildfire throughout Israel? Here's why. Because they've experienced 400 years of silence. No prophet speaking to them. No prophet bringing the word of the Lord to them. And they began to wonder if God had forgotten them. And the birth of John the Baptist would be a reminder that God was moving once again. What will this baby boy named John do? He will prepare the way for Jesus, prepare the way for salvation. John will come preaching sermons in the desert that highlight the lavish mercy of God to sinners. Why? Well, Luke tells us in verse 78, because of the tender mercy of God. The word translated here, tender mercies, is splachna in Greek which means bowels of mercy or guts of mercy. The idea is that the Lord feels mercy and compassion for us in his gut. It's this passion, this feeling of mercy that you feel in your gut. Jesus feels it in his gut for his people. You may not feel that he cares, but he feels it in his gut this morning. What you're going through, he feels it deep inside. You may not feel like he cares at all, but he does. And it's not just a head knowledge kind of awareness of what's going on. He feels it. There's tender mercy. And so in verse 58, with Elizabeth, we saw great mercy. And now in verse 78, Zechariah mentions the tender mercy. So you have great mercy, megaluno mercy, and then you have tender mercy, splachna. This is our God. He's infinite in power and glory. And yet he is able to stoop down and tenderly care for people. The most powerful person in the universe is also the most tender and caring and gentle. With sinners, mind you. Wow. And if you could see God right now, catch a glimpse of him sitting on his throne, you would be reminded of his great and tender mercy. Because what's hovering over God's throne right now? What's hovering over God's throne right now? John tells us in Revelation 4, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. What's hovering over God's throne right now? It's a rainbow. Hmm. What does that mean? Well, in Noah's day, the rainbow was the covenant side of God's lavish mercy to sinners. It's not going to give sinners what they deserve. And when John says that God has the appearance of jasper and carnelian, here's what John means. Jasper is this translucent stone, clear as crystal. It sparkles and flashes when it's polished. And so what John means when he describes God as having the appearance of jasper is that God is infinitely glorious, infinitely holy. And then he mentions carnelian as a stone that's, reddish in color like fire. And so what John means when he describes God as having the appearance of carnelian is that God is holy and righteous. There's this righteous anger at man's sin. So you see God on his throne who is holy and glorious. That's what the jasper stone represents. And then you see his red-hot hatred of sin. That's the carnelian stone. And then there's the rainbow. Wow, a rainbow. The covenant sign of God's lavish mercy. The rainbow hovers over the throne of God suggesting that he is rich in mercy and that he's a big spender. The holiness of God and the glory of God and the red hot anger of God at man's sin is surrounded by the symbol of mercy, the rainbow. In other words... Divine mercy overarches all of God's deeds. God's mercy overarches all that he does. And so the banner that's hanging, if you will, over the God's throne says, God is rich in mercy and he's a big spender. When you see God, when you see Jesus, you see mercy. Mercy. You see a banner that tells you that God is not stingy with his mercies. He's loaded with mercies, and he's a big spender. The rainbow hovering over the throne of God is eternal proof that God's mercy is over everything that he does. Which means that when we turn away from God, he doesn't turn away from us. He's merciful toward us. He doesn't give us what we all deserve. There's tender mercy from an infinitely holy and glorious God when we sin. Think about that. Tender mercy from an infinitely glorious and holy God when we sin against that infinitely glorious and holy God. He actually moves toward us when we sin, He comes closer. But when you read the Bible, the banner over the lives of God's people and the banner over our lives is that we have continually turned away from the Lord. And yet his heart moves toward us in compassion and mercy. And that is exactly what is happening here in Luke 1. The nation of Israel had turned away from the Lord. It's why they had no king. It's why they went into exile in Babylon. It's why Rome was ruling over them. And baby John the Baptist is proof that God, once again, after 600 years of no king and after 400 years of no, no word from the prophets, silence, now God is revealing his heart for his rebellious children so as to allure them to love him. He's sending Zechariah's mercy song throughout the land, sending John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus. Why? Why? Because of the tender mercy of God. So all of the events of the birth of John the Baptist are meant to woo God's people back home to his heart. And that's what the table before us today is meant to do. To woo us back to God. Would you like to do that? Would you like to come home again? Would you like a fresh start today? To just forget what has happened before. And just say, I want a fresh start with God today. You can do that. That's what the table is for. It's an invitation to say, you can start over. Just like with the birth of John the Baptist, God knows that we need physical reminders of his love and atoning work on our behalf. For Israel, at this point in our history, it was an old gray-haired lady giving birth to a boy named God is Gracious. And we have a physical reminder before us today in the bread and the cup in order to draw our minds and to draw our hearts to the cross. Because here we see the love of God on display, the proof that he's merciful. The banner over the throne of God says, God is rich in mercy and he's a big spender. And then you come down to the one seated on the throne and you see Jesus like, there's the proof. There's the proof that God backs up what he says. He's rich in mercy, and he's a big spender because he sent his son Jesus to die for my sin. Here is where we see God's love on display. Christ giving his body and his blood for you and me. And so communion and the Lord's Supper is designed to woo our hearts back to our first love. Puritan Richard Sibs said, "And when we feel ourselves cold in affection and duty, the best way is to warm ourselves at this fire of his love and mercy in giving himself for us." Have your affections for Jesus cooled? Your desire to live for him Listen to Sibs again. And when we feel ourselves cold in affection and duty, the best way is to warm ourselves at this fire of his love and mercy in giving himself for us. Not warming ourselves at the fire of the law, do more, try harder, be holy. Not that, warming ourselves at the fire of his mercy and love. Let me ask you, is your heart cold today? Is your heart frozen up in sin? The best way to warm yourself is at the fire of his love and mercy. Come warm yourself around the gospel today. Come warm yourself at this fire of his love and mercy in giving himself for us. May the warm and tender heart of Jesus warm your heart for him today. And then, may it give you goosebumps. Because when you hear the good news of the gospel, when you hear about God's lavish mercy, his great and tender mercy, it should give you goosebumps. When you hear that Jesus lived and died for you, it should give you goosebumps no matter how many times you hear it. Ralph Davis said, I think even the church has lost the marvel of such forgiveness we have by and large the vending machine view of forgiveness rather than the miracle view we pop in our penitence token and out comes the assurance of pardon we have lost the goosebumps on our souls having a god who passes over rebellion micah 7:18 should make us shudder with joy you want your goosebumps back You look to Jesus. You look to the cross. You look to the table before us. Looking to the throne of grace and seeing a rainbow that reminds you of the tender mercy of God is how you get your goosebumps back. And when you look there, you see a banner that says, God is rich in mercy and he's a big spender. And the meal before us is all the proof that you need. So come to the supper today and eat and drink and celebrate. And don't worry about the cost because today God's picking up the bill. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are so merciful and tender and kind and compassionate towards sinners. Maybe we have lost the goosebumps on our soul, Lord. Maybe it doesn't shock us anymore. So we ask that you would warm our hearts again with what Jesus has done for us, that we would shudder with joy, maybe even cry tears of joy, tears of repentance, Lord. You're so kind to us, Lord. We've all walked away from you this week. We've all lived Oh, my family knows that I have lived like I'm the king and I'm not. Jesus, you're the king. So we repent today before we come to this table and we say, God, forgive us. Forgive us for not loving you. Forgive us for loving ourselves. Cleanse us, wash us, and purify us. And then, Lord, may we leave here loving you more and loving others more. Do that miracle. In our hearts this morning, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.